Episode 24, Great Bush of Fire. Not many people have seen a bush that was on fire, yet not burning. But Moses can say that he did. After living 40 years in Egypt as the adopted son of the Pharaoh's daughter, Moses flees to the neighboring country. He would remain there until 40 years had passed, when God would call him back to Egypt to be used by God to set the Israelites free from the Egyptians. Welcome to the History of the Bible podcast. When Moses was brought back to the woman that pulled him from the river, he was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh to be her son. He would then grow up going to the harem, where he would learn to be a royal Egyptian. However, he wouldn't stay within the royal family forever. In Acts 7 verse 23, it says that Moses was 40 years old when he decided to visit his people. And when he went to visit them, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And it says in Exodus 2 verse 12, that Moses looked to make sure that no one was watching. Once he saw that no one was watching, he killed the Egyptian and buried them in the sand. The next day, Moses went back to visit his people. And when he saw two of his countrymen fighting with each other, he asked the one attacking the other, Why do you strike your companion? Yet the reply that he got from the man was not one that he expected. The man said to Moses, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? When Moses heard this, he figured that everyone had found out about him killing the Egyptian. Especially when the king of Egypt found out about the killing, he tried to find Moses to put him to death, but Moses fled into Midian. During the time of Moses and the Exodus, Midian was located partially on the Sinai Peninsula as well as the east side of the Gulf of Acuba, although later on in history they would eventually move farther north, but for now they were just east of Egypt. Midian was a distant relative of Israel, or Jacob. When Sarah died, Abraham remarried a woman named Keturah who bore him six sons, one of them being Midian. All of Abraham's sons, except Isaac, moved into the Sinai Peninsula after being sent away. Eventually, the different family groups would intermarry, as later on, Midians and Ishmaelites would become interchangeable. The Midianites were merchants, as they were the ones to purchase Joseph and then sell him into slavery in Egypt, as well as shepherds. So this is where he would flee to, and when he got there, he stopped at a well. And being a people group that were merchants and shepherds, it came about that seven sisters came to the well to water their father's sheep. But other shepherds tried to stop and drive the woman away from watering the sheep. But Moses stood up for them to protect them, as well as gave the flocks water to drink. When the father of the seven sisters heard about the Egyptian man that saved them and drew water for them, He had them invite Moses to the house for food. Eventually, it was decided that Moses would stay with the man and was given one of his daughters as a wife named Zipporah. The man that Moses stayed with was named Jethro, and he was the priest of Midian. However, in Exodus 2 verse 18, it calls him Ruel, which means friend of God which makes some believe that he was the priest of the Semite god El, which would have been the god of Abraham, their father. But Ruel and Jethro are both the same person. It is thought that the god of their father was not worshipped in the land of Midian and that Jethro and his position as priest was not respected. 
if he and his position was respected, then the harsh treatment of the seven daughters would not have happened by the shepherds. And these are other people within their community that are not respecting them. Again, Jethro gave Moses one of his daughters to be his wife, and they had a son together named Gershom. The name itself is thought to mean expulsion, which could indicate that Moses felt that he was banished from Egypt, as he said that he had been a sojourner in a foreign land. While Moses was living in Midian, the Israelites' cry for help became even louder, which God would then begin the exit plan from Egypt for Israel. One day, when Moses took his father-in-law's sheep to the backside of the country, to Mount Horeb, as a side note, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, and they are interchangeable throughout the Bible. This mountain is where Moses would later on get the Ten Commandments from God as well as have many encounters with God on this mountain. But at this point in his life, it would be the first of many encounters with the living God. In Exodus 3, verse 2, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. But when Moses looked, the bush was not burning. The word for angel of the Lord here is angel of Jehovah and Elohim causing many to believe that this was either God himself showing up or a pre-incarnation of Jesus. It's clear in the way that the angel of the Lord speaks to Moses that it cannot be anyone other than God or Jesus. So Moses, being curious, turned to see the bush that was on fire, yet not burning. When it was seen that Moses turned towards the bush, the Lord called out to Moses twice, indicating the urgency of the matter. Moses replied, here I am. The Lord then tells Moses to not come closer and to remove the shoes that were on his feet because he was standing on holy ground. In ancient times, it was a sign of respect to remove your shoes as you would enter a temple, a palace, or a house of a highly respected man. The Lord tells Moses to show the same type of respect in his presence. This is the first time that the Bible mentions the holiness of God being the first time to introduce his holiness, it's interesting that the flame was a symbol of it. Throughout the Bible, from here on out, would compare the holiness of God to that of a fire. Holiness means to be set apart and sanctified. But a fire would become a very well-known symbol of God to the Israelite people as they left Egypt going into the Promised Land. Thus, it would also be a light to the people of Israelites on their path. The Lord would then introduce himself to Moses, saying, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three men that received directly from God the promise that one day the land of Canaan would be their descendants. And when Moses heard this, he hid his face because of the utter fear that Moses had as he was faced with the presence of God. The Lord then would go on to tell Moses of the suffering of his people and that the Lord would be the one to lead them out of Egypt into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. The reason that the promised land is mentioned as the land of milk and honey is because an abundant amount of milk would suggest plenty of pasture land for livestock, and the honey would refer to the land being rich in farmland that the bees had plenty of plants to get nectar from. In essence, the promised land was a very fertile land that had plenty of land for a large amount of livestock and plenty of good soil for crops to grow in. To this land, the Lord was wanting to bring his people, 
to rescue them from their oppression that the Egyptians were causing them. Therefore, the Lord called Moses to be the one that would be used to go to the king of Egypt and bring out the Israelites. But Moses wasn't fully on board with this idea. Moses would say to God, Who am I that I should go to the king and bring Israel out of Egypt? God then tells Moses that he would be with him, and then says that he will give Moses a sign. And the sign will be that when Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt, they will come back to the very mountain that they were at and worship God. This sign isn't the type of sign that we would expect. But God is saying that because he will go with Moses, that he will make his way successful and bring them back to the mountain safely. This type of sign takes faith from Moses to believe in the words that were being spoken to him. God wasn't looking at what Moses had to offer in bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, but he was offering Moses to join him on a mission to bring home the Israelites. The ground for success for Moses was not based on himself, but on God and him being with Moses. So Moses then would ask, who should he tell the people that sent him? And God tells Moses that his name is I Am Who I Am, and that I Am has sent Moses to the Israelites. In Hebrew, it's Iye Asher Iye. The word Iye in the first person means to be. Just like today, if someone were to say, I am walking, I am running, I am their friend, it would mean that the person is doing something or being something. But when it is used as a standalone, just like God uses it in Exodus 3 verse 14, it is an ultimate statement of saying that I am, meaning that it means that God is totally self-sufficient, self-existent, always was, and always will be. He has no need of anything. It can be thought the same as when it's said that God is the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. God has always been is and always will be God. This is the God that is sending Moses. God would continue to give Moses instruction of who is sending him and what Moses should do when he got there. The Lord then tells Moses to tell the people that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, has sent them. Names were very important in biblical times. Often they represented who the person was and God would change the people's names to show that they were stepping into a new identity, for Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. So when God is identifying himself here to Moses and his people, it's very important to see who he is. Oftentimes, the name Yahweh is closely related to God's redemptive actions, but it also has other meanings along with being redemptive. In the Bible, the name Yahweh is used around 6,800 times. The name Yahweh is to show that God is, within himself, a deep personal God who is always with us and that he is a never-changing, always keeping his covenant and always fighting for his people, as Exodus 15 verse 3 calls God a warrior. It's almost like the name Yahweh itself is saying that I am God, totally self-reliant, but I am wanting you to be mine, and I will do whatever it takes. This is a God that is sending Moses back to the Israelites to tell them that the God of their fathers is going to bring them home, out of the affliction of the Egyptians, making good on his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once Moses was to get to Egypt, 
he was to meet with the elders of Israel and tell them all that God had told Moses, and then they would all go to the king to ask for some time off. God told them to tell the king that the Israelites wanted to go into the wilderness for a three-day journey so that they could worship their God. Of course, God knew that the king wouldn't let them go. God said that he would give the Israelites favor in the sight of the Egyptians by stretching his hands against the Egyptians, so that when the Israelites left Egypt, they would not go empty-handed, but as if they would plunder the Egyptians of their silver, gold, and clothing, almost as if they had conquered the Egyptians. But even this, Moses was still not convinced that the Israelites would believe him, coming up with what-if arguments, claiming that they would say, the Lord did not appear to you. So God asked Moses a simple question. What is in your hand? Being a shepherd, Moses had a staff in his hand, either for shepherding or a walking stick. God then told him to throw it on the ground. And as soon as he did so, the staff became a snake. When Moses saw this, he fled from the snake in fear. But God told him to pick it up from the tail. And when Moses did so, the serpent became a staff again. But God was not done yet. He then told Moses to place his hand into his cloak or into the clothes that covered his chest, almost like a jacket. And then he pulled it out from underneath the cloak and it became white as snow with leprosy. This type of leprosy was called by the Greeks white disease. It was thought to be incurable. And the reason that it was called the white disease was because the skin would look glossy white and the hair would turn white like wool too. When Moses placed his hand back into his cloak and brought it out a second time, it was gone. The incurable disease was healed. And for good measure, God told Moses a third sign to give to the Israelites if they didn't believe him. Moses was to take some water from the Nile and pour it on some dry ground and the water would turn to blood on that ground. But after all this, Moses still came up with another reason of why he shouldn't go. He wasn't eloquent in speech. And Moses tells God that in the past to the time of him standing and speaking with God, he has never been good at speaking. The Lord then reminds Moses of who made the mouth of man. Of course, the answer is right in front of Moses. But Moses wasn't getting that God equips the called. God even tells Moses that he would give Moses the words to say. But still, Moses pleaded with God to send somebody else. So the Lord tells Moses that Aaron, Moses' brother, was on his way to meet him and that he would be used by God to speak for Moses because Aaron was good at public speaking. Aaron was older than Moses by three years. In Exodus 4 verses 27 and 28, it says that the Lord told Aaron to go meet his brother in the wilderness. Now whether the two of them had stayed in connection during the 40 years or not is not known. But we do know that Aaron was listening to God when he was told to go meet his brother Moses in the wilderness. Also in Exodus 4 verse 14, it says that Aaron will be glad to see Moses. So it might be that this moment was the first time seeing each other in 40 years. Finally, Moses has no more objections to being sent to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of bondage. It could very well be due to the fear that Moses was coming up with the excuses not to go back to Egypt. 
It wasn't until that Moses started his journey back to Egypt did the Lord tell him that all those that seek to kill Moses were dead in Exodus 4 verse 19. So join us in episode 25, Back to Egypt We Go, as the journey for Moses back to the place he once called home begins. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you were to take a few moments of your time and rate and review the show and be sure to follow it too. Also, tell your friends and family about the show. If you would like to reach out and to leave feedback directly to us or to let us know how the show has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. You can also follow us at Nikhail Productions. And to those that have taken the time to leave a rating or review, as well as give feedback, thank you. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.